for us what we're going to talk about today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, let's start off with verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some, some versions say your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to talk about three things today that we're going to work our way through. The middle one is the biggest one uh, as far as content. But number one is the basis for the plea that Paul makes when he says to them, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God to present, to do this. Number two, we're going to look at how do we present ourselves? Because that's, that's a challenging statement that he says, I want you to present yourselves in a way that is holy and acceptable. That, that's a, if we really stop for a moment and think through that, that one is, is tough. And then the third thing we're going to look at is what is the contrast between being conformed or being transformed? So we're going to talk about what, what is the basis of this plea. Um, you always have to pay attention to what Scripture says, particularly when he uses certain words such as, I appeal to you, therefore. Because when we start breaking the Bible up into chapters and and verses, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll just say, hey, let's go read chapter 12 as if he wrote it like it was a novel that had, you know, 14 or 15 chapters. And so he, you try to end a chapter with some thought, but then, you know, you're going to take off and do something different in a new chapter. That's not the way the Bible was written. We did that uh, later on in order to make it easy to study, make it easier to reference and be able to find something, look it up. But when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, why? What, what's, what's this therefore? What's he referencing? You know, what is it that he has said that he's saying, based on that, I'm making this appeal to you? So to know that, we would have to drop back to Romans 11, verse 36, the end of what we've designated the previous chapter. And this is what he says. He says, for from him, speaking of Jesus, and through him... And to him are all things. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So that is what he has just said. He's just said, look guys, everything that exists, exists from Jesus, through Jesus, and to Jesus. So to him be all the glory. And then he immediately jumps into 12 one, and he says then, so I appeal to you, therefore, that you will do these things. So if you, if you plug that in, he says, I'm appealing to you to present your bodies a living sacrifice because everything belongs to God. Everything is his. Everything is from him, through him, and to him. So because of that, then Paul can point out this need for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. But then he follows that up and says, and I'm making this appeal by the mercies of God. The word that's actually used there for mercies means to be sympathetic, but in a sense of sympathy that is ready to help. When I, when I read that, I thought, man, that's, that's interesting because 
He said, God, I'm making this appeal by the, the sympathy that God has towards you. Because God could just say, I have purchased all things, and all things are from me, through me, to me, so give it. <laughs> you know, because it's mine. Now, if you ever watch kids when they're playing, I get intrigued sometimes when you're watching small kids. Because have you ever noticed that if uh, some, some kids, uh, they like to play with each other. You know, they like to share toys, and, and they here, you know, here, Jason, play with his toy, you know. But y'all know there's some other kids. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, what'd you just say? Mine. That's mine. That's mine. Give that to me. That's mine. I, always, I get tickled because what, what I often see is that, you know, kids stake out territory. They'll walk into a nursery area and, all right, all of those toys are my toys is what they're essentially saying. And they'll be over here playing with something entirely different and look over and another kid's playing. Hey, that, that's mine. You weren't playing with that. You know? Now, so, so that's our nature. Even as little kids, we have this nature that says, I want, I want, I want, and so therefore I can demand. God, <laughs> who is the, the creator of the universe, who from him, through him, to him, everything is, instead of just saying, in a sense, that is mine, and so therefore do it, his sympathy, his, his mercy is what Paul calls upon, and a sense of sympathy that says, I'm ready to help you in what I'm asking you to do. That's a tough one. Because the further we get into this, we, we start seeing it is difficult to do this thing that Paul has told us to do if we did not have a God who was sympathetic, but whose sense of sympathy was ready to help us. So how do we go about presenting ourselves? And more importantly even, when we present ourselves, he said you need to present yourselves in a way that, that you will be holy and acceptable. Well, when I started thinking through that, it took me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where he said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, I want you to keep in mind, because I, I read one commentator this week, and he was making the point, he said, well, uh, uh, Paul references the body, but he's really meaning everything. I, I actually personally agree with several other commentators. I, I don't believe that at all. I believe Paul very distinctly was saying, present your bodies, and then he's going to talk about your mind. I think he talked about them separately for a reason and for a purpose, and I'm going to show you what, what that is in the Scripture. Here, though, in 1 Corinthians, Paul also writing to another church, he reminds them, he, says, he doesn't say, don't you know that you're a whole person? Per se. He says, I want you to know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that's within you, and you have that from God. You're not your own because you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. Now here's that moment where he kind of does make that, that statement of ownership for God. He says, look, the fact that your body is to house something holy, the Holy Spirit that's to live inside of you, that God gives you. Have you ever given something to somebody 
that was nice, and then you go back later, and they have not taken care of it at all? <laughs> Man. Now, now, immediately, let's just be honest for a moment, what, what natural response did that draw out of you when you went and saw they hadn't taken care of that? Yeah, you upset, aren't you? How could you have, I spent a couple of hundred dollars on that, I gave you that, I worked hard to be able to provide that, and I gave why on earth would you not take care of it? Well, this is what Paul is telling them. He says, hey, don't you recognize that your body is the temple for the Holy Spirit, for God's very residing spirit to be? That's, that's what you are. And he says, and understand that you were pretty much in foreclosure. Spiritually, your life was in foreclosure. You were going to lose it all. But yet God came and through the, the actions of his son, Jesus Christ, he paid the price and he redeemed your property. He redeemed your body. He redeemed your soul. And he says, so you were bought. So glorify God in your body because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God and it houses his Holy Spirit. Well, look, I, I'll be honest. When, when I started thinking through that, my initial thought, I'm just, just for me, was I'm going, I don't have the ability to present myself in a way that's holy, in a way that's acceptable to God because the Bible already makes clear to us that our righteousness is just filthy rags. So I'm going, wait a minute, Paul. You're telling us that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice in a way that's holy and acceptable to God, but I don't feel that I have the ability to present myself in a way that's holy and acceptable to God. I read through Scripture, and I found that there was a time where, uh, sure enough, people were trying to make sacrifice, since that's what he says we're to make our, our bodies, is to, to be a living sacrifice. They were making sacrifice to God, but yet God entirely rejected it. And, and he didn't reject it like in a little way, and he didn't reject it and go, ah, oh, you know, you guys need to do a little better type of thing. I want to share with you what he actually said in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Most people don't read any of these smaller prophets. We don't like to read this stuff because, buddy, they'd lay some smack down on some people. You know, they come out and, and it's, it's, a, it's that hit from the side where I heard, I heard a guy, we were at a, a one-year-old birthday party last night. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's a lot for me to do at a one-year-old birthday party. I just want you to know. And, but I was listening to people talk because I didn't really know, you know, I knew like five, six people that were there, and there's 40 people there, and I didn't know the rest of them. So I'm just listening. You know, you just listen to people. And I heard one guy, and it made me think of this for this. He said, he said man, that guy got hit so hard, he was looking out his ear hole. He was talking about football. <laughs> he said, he got hit so hard that so he was looking out the ear hole. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. God's fixing to put this hit on these people in Amos. Here's what he said. He said, I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your solemn assemblies. And it, it, let's, let's put it in now terms. He said, I hate your church service. And he said, the reason I hate your church service is it's all show and pretense. And no substance to it. Yeah, you're going through the motions. You're doing the things. But I hate all that show and, and, and the pretense because it's hypocritical. Verse 22. He says, I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Now, uh, I, I want to share with you, this is important to understand 
about us presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. There were two different types, really, of sacrifices that would get made. You had this, this burnt offerings and grain offerings, which was not a sin offering. It was more, if we were going to try to make it applicable today, we would say it's more like worship. It wasn't repentance. It wasn't so much asking for God to remove your sins. This was, I'm giving worship. So he says, I'm not going to accept your worship. And then you, you want to do some stuff in order to make peace with me. You want to, you want to cover the sin portion. I'm not even going to notice some of that stuff because you're not doing it from the right frame of mind and heart. But then, just in case anybody worried about the music side of it, he decided he'd talk about that too. He says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. He says, hey, you know what? It's all show. It's all pretense. I don't like the stuff that you're doing. I'm not going to... The, the, the worship that you offer in whatever form that's not music, I'm, I'm not going to have that. I don't want to hear you talk, oh, you know, God, we need you to forgive. You're not really repenting. And by the way, the, the hymn and stuff that you're doing, man, it's just noise. He says, get away with that junk. How about God laying, laying down the hit? But what does he say he wants? In verse 24, he says, instead... I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. I don't want to see you coming in and going through the motions and pretending like you're here to worship me. When the other rest of the week, you are not living a life of justice and righteous living. Because if you're not doing any of that, worship is not something that we do in order to re live righteously. J worship is not something we do in order to be just. We live righteously, we do justly, and out of that comes our worship. Or else it's not true. Because if we're not living out the things that the, the, the God of the universe has spoken for us to do, then to come and say that I'm going to worship you when I won't do what you said is a mockery of God himself. So this passage, this passage in Amos makes it clear that there can be sacrifices offered that get rejected by God. So when I read that, I said, well, man, I really need to understand then how I'm supposed to present our, my body a living sacrifice that will be holy and will be acceptable to God. Because these folks were trying to present worship, trying to make sacrifice, and he said, I don't want it. I'm not going to receive it. So i got to understand then, how do I do this? And, oh, by the way, why did he direct us to submit our bodies to God as a sacrifice? A lot of times when I'm going through and, and, and God's forming a, a, a message in, in my heart, I, I just ask a lot of questions. So I'll be looking through and, and I'll ask myself that question. I, I did in this. I said, I said, so why our bodies? And, and what dawned on me was... In this separation of him talking about our, our mind, our spirit, and in our body, I realized that, you know what, our soul, if we've come to Christ, then your soul has already been surrendered to God or else you hadn't been saved. If you've been saved, then you have already given over control of your soul to God. And, and you no longer, remember he said, you've been bought with a price. So if you got bought with a price... Jason prayed this Wednesday night. 
He, 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 in, in part of his prayer, he made the statement about that God paid a debt that he didn't owe, and he, and he, but he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. So when God paid for us, then he came in ownership, and he redeemed our souls. So we no longer have authority over our souls, but, but we're left with our body. A lot of people really have not spent the time digging into this to understand then even why, uh, and we've talked about it a little bit before, why the conflict exists. Well, Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, and he said, I, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. All right? Not my body, but in the inner man that's in me, I delight in the law of God. But, he says, but I see a problem. Because I see in my members, he said, I see that there's another law that's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Look, look at what he's saying. He says, he says, my inner man that's been renewed by Christ that's been renewed through the process of salvation, it has been regenerated, old things have passed away, all things are made new, that new man, I've been raised to walk in newness of life. He says, my inner man loves the law of God, but, but my body, my flesh, still keeps fighting against what my, my mind knows. And in verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death. This, this body that still bears in it the, the effect of sin because it has not been renewed. But he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, he says, who is it going to redeem me? It's going to be Jesus that's going to do this. So I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, he's not saying it's okay that I'm going to do it, but he says there's the conflict, the conflict between the two, the conflict that exists. And, and here is, just simply stated, here is the nature of this conflict. My mind knows how I should live for God, my thoughts, but my flesh, my actions, still attempt to live for themselves. As I worked my way through that, then I had to ask myself another question. How many of us end up being okay with our souls being surrendered to God, but not focusing on also presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice? We end up saying, oh yes, God has saved me, and so my life has been changed, my soul has been redeemed... But yet, I'm over here, and my actions don't speak to what I say is happening in the inner man. And Paul makes this a clear contrast, because in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he describes that the body gets sacrificed, but the mind gets renewed. But how do I offer my body? How do I offer it in a way that's holy? How do I offer it in a way... That is acceptable. Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. As you come to him, a living stone, as you come to him, this next statement is describing him. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves 
like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer, catch this, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the whole process of offering sacrifices could not be done by the common man. Common man could not offer sacrifice in God's presence. That's not the way this worked. The priest was the one that had to do that. Now, there have been issues throughout the re remainder of time, even after Jesus came, not because there are still churches today that teach that you've got to do everything through the priest. You've got to do everything through the pastor, if you will, in our vernacular. That's not God's plan. First Peter, he made it clear. He said, look, here's the deal. You yourselves are like living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? So that you will become a holy priesthood. Why? So that you can offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So how am I supposed to offer sacrifice when sacrifices have to be offered by those who are of the priesthood because God turns around and says, I'm making you all to be part of a royal priesthood. I'm making you all to be in direct relationship with me. That's why the veil was torn when Jesus was on Calvary. And he says, it is finished. And the ground begins to shake. And the veil is rent from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth. He made a way. And he opened it. He says, now we can boldly go before the throne and we can make our request made known. Why? Because we have been joined into the royal priesthood. Not for the purpose of so that we could say, oh, I now have a title. But so that we could offer spiritual sacrifices and that they would be acceptable to God and it would happen through Jesus Christ. Well, in the, in the temple sacrificial system, then you not only had the priest, but you had to have, priests had to be taught. Priests had to be trained in how you went about doing the priestly duties, which included then making sacrifice. So Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 tells us, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, here's that word, sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, you've got to start pulling this picture together because we've just been laying these threads out here, and, and you've got to tie a knot somewhere and start braiding that thing, okay? And get this thing together because we said that, that by the mercies of God, Paul made this plea. And the mercies of God, that word designated his sympathy that was ready to help. Now here we see that we have a high priest and he's not unable to show sympathy to our weaknesses, but in every respect he has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So by the mercies of God, his sympathy with which he is prepared to help us, and we also have Jesus Christ who is our high priest who is not unsympathetic to the fact of our weakness and that we need help. Not only that, but we have been made to be in the priesthood. I thought this was a very interesting thing. In the process of sacrifice in their system, 
in this Jewish system at the time. The offering got sacrificed by the priest. That, that part's true. But, but it was presented by the offered. So the person who came to the priest came and, and made this offering, but I thought this was so interesting. But he transferred to God all of his right, title, and interest in that sacrifice by laying his hand on the head of it. So I would go to the temple. I was called upon to, to bring a maybe a dove, to bring a lamb, to bring... There's some various different things you could do. Even there was a provision for the poor. They couldn't afford any of that, and there was a flower sacrifice that could be done. Flower as in not like blooming, but, but the powder for those who were poor and could not afford. And so... But when I brought this animal to sacrifice and I come and, and Jason is, is, is my priest and, and I come and I, and I tell him I, I brought this for sacrifice, I don't just give him this, this animal. And here you go, you know, sacrifice this, this for me. I go through an actual figurative process then of that I place my hand upon the head of that sacrifice and I release that thing to God. I said, I'm, I'm relinquishing all my rights. I'm relinquishing any title that I have, any claim that I have on this sacrifice. I now release that thing, and I let it go. Somebody's going to click in your heart here in a minute. You know what? When we start thinking about that we have been made part of the priesthood, but yet we are being told in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Man, there are some of us today, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you got to put your hand on your forehead. That's not what I'm trying to, trying to do. But somehow, figuratively, in your life, you, you need to somehow place your hand figuratively on yourself and say, God, I relinquish all my rights. I relinquish all the title and the claim that I have to myself because if I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice, I've got to let this thing go. I've got to release myself to you, and then I'm going to have to, because that's the human side of me. That's the side of me that I'm still struggling with. I'm the one offering, and then the priestly side of me that you've called me to be in Jesus Christ is going to sacrifice this thing before you, but I'm going to release it before I sacrifice it. Because there's too many people that we're trying to go and we say, oh yeah, I want to sacrifice myself to God. I, I, want, to, I want to surrender myself, but we're still holding on. We still got a grip on that thing. And, 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 and we're claiming title to it. And we're saying, but this is my life. This is, this is my thing. This is what I want to do. And he says, hey, you're going to have to just go ahead. It's hard with an open hand to hold on to something. When you just place your hand on, on the head of that thing. He ain't talking about you go over here and get you a handful of fire. Just put your hand on that thing and say, God, I release it. I relinquish all of my rights to this. The high priest would oversee lower priests. So if a lower priest wasn't sure what to do or if, or if they were in error in their methodology, the high priest could correct. That's why to me it's, it's so powerful that not only are we as all believers brought into this priesthood of Christ, but yet we have a high priest. 
And Christ will oversee and will look to see what we're doing and how we're presenting ourselves and how we're sacrificing our lives before him. And he'll say, hey, you need to correct this because your methodology's not right. Hey, you need to work on this because what you're trying to do, that you're not releasing it. You're still hanging on to the fur. And, and, and yet you're wanting me to receive the sacrifice, but you still got a hold on it. The high priest can step in and do that. But what's this? What's this? There's really an oxymoron here. There's a, there's a conflicting statement. How are you a living sacrifice? How do you sacrifice something which to them meant dying, but yet you're going to call it a living sacrifice? Galatians 2 and 20 gives us the clear picture of how we are a living sacrifice. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. There's your death of the sacrifice. I've been crucified. But it's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life that... And boy, he swaps back and forth here so quickly. It's, so, it's such a powerful powerful verse. I've been crucified, so I died. I actually don't live anymore. It's Christ. But the life that I am living, I thought I wasn't living. I thought it was Christ that was living. But the life that I am living, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we, the sacrifice, died, but Christ now makes us alive. One of the interesting things is there are actually Two sacrifices in the Bible that we see as examples of both of these. The first example of this was Isaac. Abraham takes Isaac. They go to the mountain. He has servants that are there with him. And Abraham looks at the servants and he says, My son and I are going to go up this mountain and we're going to go worship and then we'll return. But God had already told Abraham, you got to sacrifice Isaac. There's a, whole, there's a whole message to delve into about him looking. The lad and I are going to go, but we're going to come back. There's an illustration because then Abraham takes and the wood that was going to be used for the sacrifice, he lays it on Isaac's back. So uh, It's an absolute figure of Christ bearing the cross on his back, going up the hill to be sacrificed. He lays the wood on Isaac's back. They get up there. Abraham, Abraham is ready. He's ready to sacrifice him and trust God. And I, I, as I was reading this week, it reminded me that Isaac must have at some level been prepared to be obedient because we don't see anything saying that Isaac fought, that Isaac resisted, whatever else. So there was your first one where that, that truly... God has to send an angel then to stop Abraham because he said, you were so committed that you, you were determined. You were going to do what I told you to do. It's the first sacrifice that really, in essence, in Abraham's heart, he died. But yet God stopped it, and he looks around and sees a ram caught in the bush. The second one was Jesus himself. Jesus comes... He dies on a cross. He literally dies. But yet he lives. He comes back to life. Three days later, he, he, is, he is 
raised from the dead three days later. So truly, a, a sacrifice that is living. It's the two examples that we see. And then Paul points out to us that we have to become that same sacrifice. But we become that how? He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Otherwise, we couldn't die. Paul, Paul states in another, in another passage in Romans, he, at the beginning of chapter 7, he talks about how that as long as one who is married, if, if they're all, both alive, he says, then you're, 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 there's a covenant that's been made. And he says, so somebody has to die in order for the covenant to be broken. And that's the whole picture that he leads into then at the bottom of, uh, of chapter 7 when he says that the scripture that we read earlier where he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death because I'm doing the things I don't want to do and, and I'm struggling with that, but it's going to be Jesus that's going to do that. And then my, one of my favorite verses, then we hit eight chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, and because of the fact that Jesus is the one who would deliver me from this body of death, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But he goes on in chapter 8 to talk about that it's those who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. There he is making that distinction again of the inner man versus the outer man being in conflict. <coughs> but Christ, living in us, is not the sole thing that happens. God has an intent that we control our own bodies. Literally. That we control our own bodies and keep them under the direction of the inner man. Paul said, my inner man loves Christ and he wants to do these things. But my outer man, my flesh that has not been renewed, that has not been redeemed yet, that is still corruptible, he's fighting with my inner man. But God makes it clear that he has an expectation, not on us to call upon God and say, God, stop me from doing this. I, I've actually heard people say things like that. I've heard people say, well, you know what? I, I, I knew I probably shouldn't take another drink of alcohol, but, but I was sitting there and that beer was in front of me and I said, God, if you don't want me to drink this, this beer, make it disappear. You know, or what? And, and it, well, it didn't disappear, so I drank it. You know, God, if you don't want me to have this affair, then make her, make her not be attracted to me. Well, you know, she still was, so woo-hoo. <laughs> the mentality is, and that's why people go, oh, you know, because it, God needs to help me. That's not, what, that's not what God says is the plan. Here's what God says about our bodies that we're presenting as a living sacrifice. In 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, For this is the will of God. If you ever want to know the will of God, here's you one of them. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. But now verse 4 is the power portion in this. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now, wait a minute, we're trying to figure out how do I present my body in a way that it is a living sacrifice that is holy and that is acceptable to God. Now, we've already seen that he said we've been made to be part of the royal priesthood. Why? So that we could make spiritual sacrifices that would be acceptable to God through Jesus. So we got the acceptable part that's coming through Jesus, and the fact that we're a priesthood that then can make sacrifice. But here he says, hey, this is the will of God, 
that you learn how to control yourself. In holiness and honor. He didn't say that each one of you know how to tell your neighbor how to control his body. You know, because we, we, we like to do that stuff, don't we? We'll look, we look and tell everybody else what they need to do. You need to get this right here, right in your life. You know, God went through that kind of stuff too. He, he had to remind people, you know, so hey, wait a minute, you know, there's a speck in one eye, there's a, there's a beam in another eye. You know, don't be worrying about trying to, you need to know how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Matthew Henry's commentary makes this. It's a great statement. It is the soul that is the proper subject of holiness. But a sanctified soul communicates a holiness to the body that it actuates and animates. Let me, let me tell you what he's, what he's pointing out. He's saying that it's the soul that actually is redeemed by God. It's the soul that gets made holy. Because that which is not holy cannot stand in the presence of God, but he is concerned about your soul because your soul is what is eternal. This body is not. The Bible says that, that this corruptible will end up putting on incorruption, that this mortal will put on immortality, that, that our bodies will be transformed then at some later date. But our soul has always been eternal. So he says that soul is the true subject of holiness, that which comes from God. But if your soul is sanctified, then it's going to communicate that same holiness to the body, and the body will actually make that go into effect. It will animate it. It will bring it to life. Holiness that is inside you that does not come outside of you is like looking at a cartoon picture. It's not moving. It's not animated. It has no life. It's just there. There's a major disconnect if we claim that the inner man has been made holy through salvation. Yet, that holiness that God has brought into our soul is not being progressively reflected in the actions of the outer man. See, we've gotten so hung up over the years on trying to not be legalistic. We got... We got we went so far in trying to swing way over here that we go, oh, it's, all, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, and it doesn't matter, and it's grace, and it's grace, and it's grace. Mm, not true. It is grace, and God is extending, and we're not perfect and all that, but yet we are to be going through a process of maturation. When, when we just saw in the Scripture that he said, hey, this is God's will for you, even your sanctification, your being set apart is that you will learn how to control your body. Because think about it. Now, the things that are done in the Spirit, most people don't see. They don't see what you thought about a lot of times. They don't see what you, you know, what you, ill will maybe that you were had in your heart. Or sometimes people go on years and not share anything. But people see what you do in your body. They see your resulting actions. And if one is in constant conflict with the other and there's not a progressive change, then how can we say that God was powerful enough to save your soul for eternity but not powerful enough to change your actions? 
I think that's the part that bothers me is it's not about us being able to do, you know, and, and you're not earning salvation, you're not, you're not maintaining salvation, you're not doing, but if God truly changed your heart and changed your soul and, and old things passed away and all things were made new and you've been made a new person in Christ, then do we really think God is not wanting us to grow? Do we really think that God is not wanting us to change? Do we really think that God is wanting us to continue in the actions that we did before, but yet we're just, we just avoid hell? We got quiet this morning. So uh, consider this sequence then. It kind of sums up this center portion. Number one, God directs us to present our bodies a living sacrifice that's holy and that's acceptable. There's an entire passage that I didn't read you where God directs us not to join our bodies with unholy things. He talks about not, actually very specifically about not joining your body with prostitutes. But now we look at that and go, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't even know any prostitutes. Praise God, you know. <laughs> I hope you don't. <laughs> you know, if, if you say you do and you got them on speed dial, we're in trouble. Um, just saying. But... But we, we just go, oh, yeah, maybe he's just being very specific about that. Hey, there are many things that if we're not careful, we will prostitute our souls to. We'll prostitute our souls to money. We'll prostitute our souls to our raising. We'll prostitute our souls toward power, toward possessions, even toward people. That we will, but we will go and join ourselves with things that are unholy. The reason that passage says, he says, don't do this even is because he says, don't you know that that which you have joined your body to, they become one. It, it, it's not like it stays separate. There's a connection there. It's one of the main reasons, side note, it's one of the main reasons why that, that we so absolutely should encourage young people and single people, don't have sex outside of marriage. Not because it's not fun. When, when we make that connection, even in the most basic physical sense, there is, a, there is an emotional tie that happens. There is a, there's just a mental connection that occurs. And if you get some people, to be honest with you, that, that experience those relationships outside of marriage, they'll tell, there is still there, there is a bond, there's a level of connection that's there that it's just it's there. God can deliver, God can heal and, and, and set free from some of that. But he, it, the Bible is very clear. He says that once you join yourself to something, then you become one. There becomes a connection. And there's only so many times that you're going to keep connecting to other things that it's not tearing away from what you're able to connect with God with until you seek God healing and restoring all those broken pieces and putting that stuff back together. So he tells us not to join our bodies with unholy things. Then he tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a tough one. I, I'm just going to throw this out here. Maybe if you need some help, here's one to think about. And people go, oh, man, this is, this is going to make me feel bad. Okay. I mean, if it's what, I mean, if it's what helps us to, to make... You go to look at that thing that you're not supposed to look at. I don't care whether it's uh, gossip about somebody, whether it's pornography, whether it's some, just whatever you're not supposed to look at, then think about the fact that the Holy Spirit's inside of you looking at that too. If, if the Holy Spirit could just pop up right beside you and say, hey, what are we going to look at? Well, we're fixing, we're fixing to look at this naked picture is what we're fixing to look at. <laughs> right? 
And, and then the Holy Spirit says, really? That, that, that's what? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you got you to gotta have some visuals for yourself to help yourself because you know what? It's not stopping you in there any other way. So I'm trying to give you one, give you a tool here to use. You know what? I'm fixing, a, I'm fixing a look at this statement on Facebook that's all gospel about somebody, and then I'm going to respond. Holy Spirit pops up and goes, what are we fixing to look at? Oh, we're fixing to read some of this gossip, and then we're going to join in. On, really? Right? Well, what are we fixing to do? Well, I'm fixing to go over here with these folks that are uh, they're doing something that's, that's just simply not right. They're stealing from our employer, or they are, uh, they're, they're doing something that's illegal. They're doing something that's unethical. They're doing something that's going to harm somebody else. The Holy Spirit pops up and says, hey, what is it we're fixing to do? Well, we're going to go over here and do this thing that's illegal. Instead, <laughs> he leads you and guides you into all truth. Sometimes we need to realize our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so we're commanded glorify God in them. Then he tells us that it's his will for us that we would be sanctified and that we would control our own bodies. I think that's the part that we wrestle with. We wrestle with the fact that he makes us responsible for doing this level of control. It's not that he in his sympathy will not assist us. But God's not going to force us into not doing things or force us to do things. But he says, I want you. It's God's will for you that you will know how to control yourself. And then that last wrap-up on that, that since we can sacrifice ourselves as a priest, working through our high priest, who is the one who makes our sacrifices made acceptable to God. So what does it mean to be conformed versus transformed? So, so the plea that Paul made is based in the fact that everything belongs to God. So therefore, he says, you need to present your bodies a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. Well, why is that? Because our bodies then are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself, part of the Godhead, is residing in us. And he says, so therefore, don't have a dirty house that you expect me to live in. All right. And he says, and I expect you to keep the house clean. I expect you to be the one that'll do the work, know how to control your own body, and, and you're going to be able to make this sacrifice because I've made you to be a, a priest. You're going to be able to relinquish, and your high priest is going to direct you in how to do this. But then he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, the interesting thing is when we read the word transform, that sounds like a uh, a past tense to us. It, it sounds as if, you know, we see stuff that ends with ED, we tend to believe it's something that happened, not something that is happening. But the actual word that is used there is a present passive imperfect. That means it keeps happening. It says he really is saying, don't be conformed, but I want you to keep being transformed. It's not a one-time thing. If, if we stop and we believe that, well, you know what, I went to the altar or I raised my hand or I prayed the prayer and everything's good, it's all done. He says, no. He says, you need to keep being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It didn't happen one time and you're good to go. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24, he says, Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due 
to their hardness of heart. Listen to that. He says, the reason you don't know is because you're too hard-hearted to want to know. It's not that I'm not trying to help you know, but you're so hard-hearted that you think you know, and you don't want to receive. And he says, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. What, what is, when you get a callous, what does it do to you? Gets hard, numb. You can't feel stuff. When you get, I mean, I'm starting to get them, you know, you can't see hardly on the end of my fingers, but the longer that I work at learning to, you know, play guitar, um, and they tell me I get too excited and I push too hard. But, man, I've got weird junk going on on the ends of all of my fingers, and because and, they're, cal they're calloused up, and, and, uh, but there's some stuff that actually even when I try to use any of my electronic devices, I have to use a different finger than they, these four. Because the callus, it actually, my, my, my phone and my iPads and stuff don't even recognize that as being skin. It doesn't sense life. Woo! It doesn't sense any life in it. So I have to use a different finger that's sensitive, that's not hardened. He said these folks have become callous. And so they don't feel anymore. And so when you get callous about spiritual things, I'll tell you what begins to happen. You will push yourself into more and more sensual things because you're trying to feel. You need to hear that. When you get numb to God, you'll start pursuing everything else trying to feel something. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Listen to that, boy, that's, man, that is, a, that is a saddening statement. He doesn't just say, hey, they go out and they try to... He says, they're greedy about, I want to go do stuff that's wrong. But in verse 20, he says, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now listen to this. This is Paul talking to people who were in the church, to people who were supposed to be believers, because he said, look, you didn't learn Christ that way, being calloused and pursuing sensuality and all that stuff. If you really received him, that's not how you learned him. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I, I think you, you got to get this. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. And he says, you've got some responsibilities, and that responsibility is put off your old self. You see that you're still doing and being who you were before you were in Christ, and you need to get rid of that. Because that belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now look, I guarantee you, we could go around the room, because I know some of your testimonies, and I know your hearts on, and on many of these things. Look, the reality is many of you could say, Yes, when I began to break free from things in my life that I knew were wrong, it was hard initially because I was drawn to try to go back to those things. I was drawn back to those people that I was friends with. I was drawn to those habits that I had developed. He says, you got to put that off, and the way you do that is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on a new self. How about that? How many of you ever had somebody go, hey, come out here and smell this new car smell in my vehicle? 
They even put out spray now. You know, there's spray that you can spray in your car. Look, if you've got a 1972 Pinto, don't, don't go spraying new car smell in it. Ain't nobody fooled by that mess. There ain't nobody fooled by that. But he said, be renewed and put on a new self. Because that new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Present yourselves a living sacrifice, and you got to make sure that it's holy and acceptable. He keeps telling us how that's going to happen. Because you're going to put on what Christ has done for you. And therefore, it is not through our own holiness, but it is through what Christ has done. The world wants to control your mind. He said, don't be conformed, because the world wants to control your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. There's a big difference. The word transform that's used there actually came into our English language as the word metamorphosis. You get, you get the little caterpillar, and he goes through metamorphosis, right? And becomes the, you know, he can become the butterfly. But that change happens from within. It doesn't happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. I was reading uh, a... a uh, an article about this concept, and man, it was so good I wanted to share this statement with you guys. It said, in trying to control your mind, the world exerts pressure from without. But in transforming your mind, the Holy Spirit releases power from within. See, the world starts trying to put pressure on you, and people feel like, I'm going to collapse, I'm going to cave in. But the Holy Spirit then releases power inside of you that puts, how do you keep something from collapsing? You've got to put a stronger force, an opposing force, that's going the opposite direction. And as the world begins to try to conform you to it, it'll put pressure on you. He'll put people around you. He'll put thoughts and ideas. He'll put stuff on television that says this is what it ought to be. And the pressure just mounts. And it pushes and it pushes in. And then if we don't go... And allow the Holy Spirit to release power within us that says, uh-uh, no. And it shores us up and it keeps no matter what the pressure is that the world puts in from the outside, the Holy Spirit, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So no matter what the pressure is that's coming in from the outside trying to make you conform to the world, the Holy Spirit will release power inside of you that will overpower and overcome and shape you to be what God wants you to be and not what the world is trying to make you conform to. Why is the will of God important? Because at the end he said that you would be able to test and discern the will of God. I want to end by sharing some verses that Jesus speaks about why the will was important. Luke 22 and 42, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, we know this passage, not my will, but yours be done. John chapter 5, verses 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here's what I want you to know. Many people fail to grasp this requirement that he's making about submitting ourselves to the will of God. And just quite honestly, it's why many people continue struggling with bad attitudes, with a temper, with a sarcastic mouth, with foul language, with bad thoughts, is because you are still operating on your will and you have not submitted to God's will. 
The tough thing is that I will hear people within the church make statements that the world makes. And what they'll do is they'll say, I can't help it. That's just my personality. I was born that way. Let's just go ahead and get it straight. What you're really saying is God is not powerful enough to change my actions. He's just powerful enough to save me. He's not powerful enough to actually change my life, but he's just powerful enough to change my destination for eternity. But he's not powerful enough to make my nature and my sarcastic mouth and my bad attitude and my temper and all that. He's not powerful enough to actually change those things, but he is powerful enough to keep me from dying and going to hell. That's, we're being conformed when we buy into that. We're not being transformed. We're saying, yeah, God, my outward actions are still going to remain just like I was before I ever got saved. So you really haven't transformed me. So I want to give you these five, just, just a list. How do we embrace this process? How do we embrace the process of being able to change. How do we embrace this process of being able to surrender ourselves to God? I, I think it's a fairly straightforward. Number one, repentance has to play a part in all this. We have to repent of our failure to really put ourselves at the feet of, of God. We have to repent of our failure to offer true spiritual worship. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2 said something very simple. It said that in making and presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, it said this is your spiritual worship. I mean, reality is if we're not doing that, then we're not giving spiritual worship. I've heard people ask even recently, they'll say things like, well, well, I don't understand why there aren't more people that get saved like when I was a kid. I don't understand why that there aren't people's lives being transformed like when I was a kid. I don't under and, and they'll go through all this stuff about why something's different today. I, I, I just want to be honest with you. There's a reality that I think we're struggling today in that we're not giving true spiritual worship. Because while we want God to save our souls and we want God to change our eternal destination, we resist the idea of that God also wants to change how I live. And as a result then, that means we're not really given spiritual worship. And it makes me fear that we end up in the situation that the people were in Amos, where he says, I don't want your hypocritical church service. This is what I would rather have is I want justice and I want righteous living because that is an act of worship. And standing here and singing while we, while we play, um, you know, raising your hands, all those things are great. But I'm going to tell you guys, it honestly doesn't matter if the other six days of the week, if our lives are not lived out in a way that, that gives honor and worship to God. Look, I may see you and go, man, that's awesome. Man, they're worshiping. And, and I want you to because I can tell you when we're standing up here and people are singing and you're playing and stuff, if everybody's standing out there going, oh. <laughs> it, you know, 
It's not fun. That's not fun. That's why it's so much fun with you guys. Because, man, people are singing and people are clapping and raising hands. And... But there are places where that's what people are struggling through. But you know what? As great as it is to have all of that, what is more important than anything is that you are giving true spiritual worship seven days a week. That you are going through the process of presenting yourselves, your actions, to God as a living sacrifice and saying, God, whatever I do, I want it to be bringing glory to you. I want it to be holy and acceptable in your sight. And then in order to help deal with that, God, I'm going to ask that you will not let my mind be conformed to the way this world thinks, but let me be transformed by you continually renewing my mind. Commit to examine ourselves daily. Why would we not examine ourselves to say, maybe I need to do something different. Maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to find what it is that God wants me to do. Or maybe I need to find what I need to quit doing and just let God. Progressive change. And then praying like Jesus did, Father, not my will. God, help me not to pursue the things in my, in my flesh that I want, but what you want. And then... God, let me not ignore your word because you've already said and you've already given me direction about how our lives need to be post-salvation. You know, what my witness needs to look like. What my process of maturation, of maturing in Christ needs to look like. To be transformed. Let's pray.